Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Talk with G. We have everybody's new favorite guest, the insider, back with us, ready with a huge scoop. Hi, actually two huge Ooh. scoops today. Two huge scoops today. I wasn't even prepared. I am. <laughs> he would not tell me the scoops. He wanted the, the genuine reactions here. We had, I think, 17 viewers of our last one. We're gonna, we got to get those numbers up um, today. But UCLA basketball is back, baby. Our last podcast ignited the flame. So... <laughs> We're going to start off with Mick Cronin is a god, a super coach, a legend. He's Coach K, reincarnated. That's all I can say. You take it away. I agree. I agree. He's the best coach UCLA's ever had. Um, he is the Wizard of Westwood. Um, actually, John that Wooden was... who? <laughs> what? John Wooden who? <laughs> yeah, that was actually, uh, that was actually, there's some, uh, um, you know, controversy about that because I think Sebastian Mack today said that uh, uh, Mick Cronin was a wizard oh. and apparently what Mick Cronin uh, says is going to happen actually does end up happening so yeah we may have a new wizard of Westwood and I, you know after our last podcast I looked up uh, John Wooden he didn't have losing seasons but it took him like 15 years to win his first championship so I agree Mick Cronin is the next next coach K and we all have to take a step off of the Govan train and onto the Alex train and give coaches more time and and uh and see what happens does chip kelly also need another 10 years oh chip kelly is done <laughs> chip kelly is done he should have been fired after the asu game and maybe at the end of today we should talk about chip kelly because there's we should a- well we'll do a little football then but let's talk about basketball so on our last pod we had a lot of like poignant takes and it was all in motivation it was all to motivate ucla basketball ucla players that was all just just like Cronin like talks smack about the players to motivate them. So are we, right? Yeah. And what yeah. do we get? We get Oregon State and we get Oregon. We get victories. Yeah. Really yeah. impressive performances. Dylan Andrews just because of specifically our criticism, Dylan Andrews listened to the listened to the pod, played it on his Beats headphones, and he used it as motivation. And he transformed into Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He- he uh i heard you know as the insider i heard some inside knowledge um i heard that one is this of scoop them, number one no this is not scoop number one this is just actually it's it's general knowledge so actually the the players that one of them downloaded the podcast and then all of them listened to that download so it didn't actually count towards the the so we number. should have like 37 <laughs> yeah so really we should have 37 but yeah they're very appreciative for um uh you know what our our takes and our motivation and they're starting to ask about NIL funding. Okay. Uh, well, fun. let's let's first talk about let let's get your take on Dylan Andrews. Like, let's give him his props. Yeah, Pac-12 Player of the Week. I mean, honestly, I can't believe it. He played amazingly. He's he's turned the corner. I, I don't know what's going on. I think he's really found the confidence somehow. Um, I do think it has to do a little bit with Mick Cronin's coaching, and and I can go more into that if you want. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know what happened. He's really locked in. Yeah, I mean, he's defensively, he's playing, he played great, super intense lockdown. He was also shooting like mid-range jumpers and trying to get to the rim, which I feel like previous games, he was just like passing the ball right after half court and just like loitering on the three-point line, but he was being aggressive on offense and he has a good stroke. I've always thought the three-point shot is like goes too high of an arc um, personally, but the mid-ranger looked good. He was making his three-point buckets. He was being aggressive and he was actually setting up teammates, which he hadn't been doing earlier this year. Like I said, he was just locking the ball up and passing it off, but he was like creating offense. So yeah. I was really impressed. If that's the Dylan Andrews we get, I mean, he's a starting, he's a starter on UCLA. 
Yeah, yeah. He's not. I I saw some stuff on Twitter or whatever about how he's gonna go in the lottery, but of course not. No, Wait, he's not. Who, who, he's not NBA caliber. Who, who said that? Don't follow him. I don't know who it was, but uh, he's not NBA caliber, but yes, he's improved a ton. In the Oregon State game, he was asked to guard their best player by far, some guy who averages like 22 points a game or something. The guy had like four, and he and Dylan Andrews was on him for like 35 minutes or something. And then in Oregon, um, yeah, he was he was handling the ball amazingly. He was setting other people up. He was hitting the mid-range jumpers, and that was a coaching decision made by Mick Cronin, who we know watches a lot of tape because – after the game, uh, Mick Cronin said, Oregon, for some reason on their screens, they don't hedge. They let the ball handler have a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And Deacon can hit those shots all day. And we sh- we saw that in the Oregon game. Well, he hadn't been, but now he, I mean, he got it back. True, but but I think just having had that good Oregon State game, plus that advanced knowledge of Mick Cronin watching all that Oregon tape and telling uh, DA what to do during the game, I think that was like the perfect combination and, and allowed DA to really... Hit those shots I, yeah, I, I agree. you wouldn't have hit those you know 10 games ago he really yeah. wouldn't have. i'm impressed I, I was impressed if we get that da i think he's a he's a good point guard let's go next to our next favorite the laser the laser <laughs> lazar stefanovich i'm not gonna lie i was i've also become a little bit more impressed with him he's an all-out all-effort guy he grabs he's the best rebounder on the team. i mean bona is a sorry rebounder unfortunately for his size but lazar dominates on the glass he plays with maximum effort even when his shot's not going down, he he just has such a good-looking stroke. It just feels like he should be a better shooter than he actually is. But he, I feel like he's taking better shots now, and he's being a, he's more consistent offensively. But I do think his motor, his his defense is pretty good, and his rebounding is really key. And he's no longer shooting twenty-two percent or whatever insane number he was shooting for a supposed good shooter. He's yeah. he's improved his shooting. I mean, he's playing well. I got to give him his props too. He's a big part of why they've been winning recently. Totally, yeah. He had 10 rebounds in that last game, two offensive. Uh, he played a, a lot fewer minutes. He only played 33 minutes, which for anyone else would be a lot, but for him is very few. He's usually playing like 38 minutes a game. Yeah, I think in, in uh, against USC, he played all 40. Um, and yeah, you can tell. like He's not as tired. He's not as winded. His shots his look better. His stroke looks better. I do think a lot of it is... Like he's not the number one guy, right? Like he's he, that's never going to be him. He's not athletic enough. He's not skilled enough. Although he, they were they were basically playing him as the number one guy. Exactly. Yeah, and he can't he can't shoulder that load. Like he's just not good enough. He's very reliable. He's very consistent. You know what you're going to get with him. Um, but uh, he can't. You can't ask him to be the number one guy. And if you do, he's going to shoot. You know, three for eighteen. Yeah. But in the past couple of games, Bona really stepped up in Oregon State. Da really stepped up uh, offensively against Oregon. And uh, Lazar was old reliable. That's his new nickname when he plays well. Old reliable. I mean, he's the old elder statesman of the team. Um, then we we got to see a little bit more from Adai Mara. Yes. Um, you know, when we first heard about Mara, we thought we were getting uh, like Nikola Jokic or something, the way he was talked about. But when we first saw him, we were like, is this is this the same guy who uh, Tracy and David were writing about? Like, I'm yeah. confused. But yeah. I mean... I thought he showed some progress and I'm like, again, all of these things we'll get into Cronin after this, but like, I think he's shown development and that's one thing UCLA hangs their hat on under Cronin is that the players develop over the course of the year. I'm still baffled when Kenny Nuba gets any minutes because it doesn't make any sense. Cause you might as well play Devin Williams or a Daimara. Kenny, yeah. you know, is bad. And he's the only, he's the tallest guy who never tries to block a shot and always tries to take a charge every single time. I don't get it, Kenny, but a guy, um, 
he played he had some he had that connection with da which was pretty cool to see um he's a good passer he's he's more playable on defense he was missing some easy shots but they'll come he's just not playing that much but obviously you can see the talents there and if he stays for two more years i think he's going to develop he's not going to quite be zach Eady because i don't think he has that frame to be a Man, Zach is just gigantic, but I think he can have more finesse and more of a shooting touch than Zach. If he just yeah. stays and grows out his body. So I was encouraged by the Mara minutes. I agree. Yeah. Beginning of the season, he was more like Moses Brown. He's getting closer and closer every day to Zach Eady. I don't think he'll ever get there, but yeah, he's a very, very talented player. Um, on the Kenny Nuba thing, I do not understand why he gets any minutes. It makes no sense. He's I don't think he's getting us any closer to victory than Brandon Williams or a Daimaro would. And developmentally, he's, what's the point? Like, I mean, I love him. He's a great dancer. He really keeps the spirit of the team up, but like, there's no benefit that I can see. And also he's a terrible rebounder, a terrible rebounder. He's horrible. And I just can't, I I can't get over the missed dunk against Arizona. I just can't. I know. can't deal with it. And they still try to post him up. Like he he calls for the ball and they post him up like he's setting up offense. And I'm just like, Kenny, but you're a six Adai had some really good screens. Earlier in the season, I was worried because he he's kind of weak, right? Like we I think we said this last podcast, like guards can just really scroll their way around him, but he set some really good screens and he's very dangerous. Did you see those two pick and rolls with a lob attempt? Yeah, yeah he looked great. And I'm sure as they work on that more, those will those will start to hit. The rhythm time. will come. He he the one the one flaw with him, other than his he needs to bulk up, he yeah. does not leave the ground. Like he can't jump. So like and he can't box anybody out right now. So he's not a good rebounder. The only way he can get anything is if he like turtles over, but the other guys are just overpowering him. But he and I, I see why Cronin like sees that and then puts Nuba in, but like Nuba gets overpowered very easily. Yeah. Uh, so you might as well play. Uh, Mar- and I think Devin Williams has so much potential. He's also skinny, but just give him the playing time. He's he can he can jump like a pogo stick. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Mara is encouraging. We got some spot Jan Vide minutes. I was shocked. I was like, I think to break the Oregon press, you wanted to bring Vide. And what were your thoughts? So Jan Vide is my scoop number one. Okay, uh, wait, insider scoop number one. Here you insider go, scoop number one. Uh, uh, so. Apparently, the reason, you know, everybody's wondering, why is Jan Vide not playing, right? Every time he goes in, he shows a little bit of promise. He shows a little bit of flash. He gets some good uh, floaters. Mm-hmm. and Which is what reason, he, he was known for the floaters in mid-range game, yeah. Right. And for some reason, he gets no minutes. And also, you know, our guard play was atrocious for the first half of the season. So even more reason to wonder why he gets no minutes. So apparently, uh, insider scoop uh, from a major inside source is that um, he does not look to pass and Cronin will tell him repeatedly look to pass look to pass and all he does is look to shoot and I rewatched that Oregon game every single play he's looking to shoot do you remember that one play it was like there were five seconds left on the shot clock he got around a guy it was actually a really nice uh like crossover and then he gave that little like uh finger roll but it it was an air ball and the shot clock expired and meanwhile right at the bottom of the hoop was Bona wide open for a dunk and he could have passed it so it's true. Jan Vide every single time is looking to shoot. Um, and I think Mick is just not accepting of that. It's interesting because I think we could have used that earlier in the year. Yes. Jan Vide could have been our juicing. Um, but I think he's just, you know, he's frustrated. And I'm starting to think more that earlier in the year when Cronin was talking about how a lot of these guys would be, you know, seventh or eighth player and would never get any playing time. I think that Jan Vide, he was thinking about Jan Vide. Yeah. So here, here's my counter argument to that. 
I mean, yes, he's looking to shoot. I think he's just like, I don't get any minutes. So when I'm in here, I think he's he's a young guy and he wants to score. And he's not, it's hard for him to accept like he just has to come and dribble and hand it off because that's probably what Cronin just wants him to do, hand it off to someone else. Right. But I see a flaw in that because like the first 20 games of the year, we desperately needed someone to create buckets because Dylan wasn't creating any buckets. Right. And Jan would come in for like a minute and he would get an open floater. He might miss, but like he has yeah. to get in rhythm. And I don't, I don't see Jan, like Dylan Andrews not leaving, right? He's going to come back one more year. I don't see Jan succeeding at UCLA unless Cronin can allow him to let loose as a six-man type, like, scorer. That's true. Uh, because his skill set, the thing I don't understand is, is, was this another misevaluation? Because his skill set coming in was not that he was the greatest passer in the world, but that he could break down guys off the dribble and create his own shots. Um while handling the ball. He was a primary ball handler for his national team, right? So it's just kind of a misalignment. I think the skill sets just don't mesh with like what you're saying with what Cronin wants. And I'm not sure how that'll change, but yeah. I guess I, we'll have to see. I bet, but why? I don't see Sebastian Mack ever looking to pass. Yeah. He can be I, next, but I completely agree with that. Um, I do think it's a flaw and, you know, and it's mixed stubbornness and, not wanting to play Jan Vide. Um, I, I agree. I mean, and I don't see him becoming a, a sixth man scorer off the bench either because Will McClendon's going to have that role for the next, you know, two or three years. So I, I, well, I the, the, the thing I will, well, we can get into Will, like, uh, I, he's not, he's not a ball dominant player, Will. So I don't think he'd ever become that six man. I'm talking yeah. about like the Jamal Crawford type kind of like just go to sure. scorer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what what Jan is going to be here, but we're getting I, that. But the, what I was saying is like Sebastian Mack, right? He never passes, but he just goes up. So I I wonder why it's like, does Mick just envision Jan to be the point guard, so he has to pass, whereas Mack is the scorer, so he has to score. I'm I think sure. Mick. I think Mick is stubborn. I think Mick views it as you know, you're a young gun. If you're flashy, then um, then you have to take your lumps before you can get the shots and. And I found like there's just some people that bypass that, like Ju Zhang and Sebastian Mack. Yeah. I do think with, with Mack, he like Mick Cronin always saw him as like a Cincinnati type, like dog, you know, hardworking player, um, which is probably true, right? Um, but and and also I don't think he really wanted to give Sebastian Mack those minutes, as we know from earlier in the season when he was yeah. so critical of Sebastian. Um, but I think he probably thinks Sebastian Mack is a better player than Jan Vide and Jan Vide is unlikely to win us the game because he's too trigger happy. I don't know. It, but yeah, I agree. It, it was it was probably a misevaluation. And I, I would bet at that point in the recruiting cycle of last year, they were just like, we'll take whatever talent we can get because we misfired on all these American. Uh, and remember, players. all four of these prospects were touted to us UCLA fans. I mean, we're not scouting Eastern Europe and stuff as first round prospects. Yeah. So like this makes me question everything. Like, like we talked about last time, like they obviously went Europe because they couldn't, they they missed out on all their US prospects. And on the bro boards, it was always like, oh, those guys, we don't want them anyways. They're not Cronin players. That's not true. If they weren't Cronin players, he wouldn't have been recruiting them so hard. Like Stojakovic, Dusty Stromer, like you read those threads too, right? They're not Cronin type players. I mean, come on. He, he desperately wanted those guys and they pivoted. And yeah. they pivoted to supposedly elite international prospects. We haven't seen it yet. We, we're seeing flashes from a die. I think Berke um has a lot of potential he missed the summer and he's been injured and i think that's hurt his development a lot i think burke is the best international pro prospect 
Yeah. I think a die is probably too too tall and too small and too slow. But Burke yeah. has potential as a stretch four. We just haven't seen him unlocked fully. I don't know what your thoughts were on Burke from what you saw the last few games. He's had a rough couple of games. Uh, you know, Mick gets really pissed at him. <laughs> I think yeah, he's. I, see, I can see it through the TV. You were, you were, yeah. the insider was sitting courtside. Let it, <laughs> let it be known. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, uh, I think that Burke is a little bit of a space cadet on the floor. Um, but yeah, I mean, in retrospect, with the Euros being touted as first round picks, I mean, of course it was too good to be true, right? Then if they were first round picks, why wouldn't every other team have already scooped them up? Just, and, and there was this whole thing about like don't post their name on the boards because someone else would like Duke like Duke will somehow magically see it and then start recruiting. I mean, give me a break. If they're that good, they'd have already been recruiting right, by them. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. I don't <laughs> know. You remember I, you remember those like Tracy was always saying, yeah. like, don't, I was like, what do you mean? Yeah, and that made us more excited, right? It was, <laughs> it was way too much hype. Way too much hype. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of hype. I still I like all the guys we got, but let's go to the fourth euro who I think this is inside scoop number two. Uh, yeah, Elaine. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's Elan Fiblui. Elan, yes. Elan Fiblui. Elan Fiblui. Fiblui. Yes, Fiblui. Sorry, Elan, if you're listening, I know you are. Um, so yeah, apparently the reason that he doesn't play that much, this is scoop number two. Okay. He uh, like for example, Mick Cronin will tell him to do one thing, and he just won't do it. He'll do the opposite on the next play. And, and it immediately gets pulled. And in practice, he does the same thing. Like, he just does not... Like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, give me an example. Like, you know, Mick will say, hedge on the screen. Or Mick will say, switch on all ball screens. And in Elon, how do you say Elaine? Elon. Elon will just... Like, I don't think he's intentionally, like, being, you know, bad. Like, I don't think he's trying to, like, be a, a jerk to Mick. I think he just doesn't... Like, maybe he has ADHD or something, and it just doesn't register, and he just doesn't do it. And Mick gets really pissed, obviously, because that's not how you play Mick Cronin basketball, and he gets immediately pulled. So I, I think the physical attributes, I know because, you know, insider knowledge, the physical attributes are all there. He Mick knows that he's a Mick player and, you know, should be starting soon, but it's just the mental stuff that isn't quite there yet. Hmm. Not sure why that is, but that's what's going on. Well, you heard it here first. Get Adderall for the whole team. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I I would zone. Wouldn't you zone out of Cronin so fast? I feel like I would be like, oh, he's yelling again, old man over there. Like, yeah, to preserve my own mental health. Yeah, you yeah. kind of have to. But yeah. I mean, I remember he was deciding between Gonzaga and UCLA. I kind of I wonder if he wishes he went with Mark Few up at Gonzaga because you have to assume that, right? Mark like, Mark has a track record of knowing how to work with these guys from uh, foreign countries and developing them. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm him, like, I mean, he can't look at the season as a success. I like, mean, right? of all the, all four of them, can can any of them, like, let even Berke, who's starting, I, I don't think this is what he expected either. No. He expected to come in and dominate. Yeah. Also, I think that Berke didn't start last game. I think Brandon Williams did. I think I think Brandon Williams might have. He's. I feel like they've been alternating. I'm not sure. Yeah. Ber yeah. Berke only played 14 minutes last game. Yeah. He had a rough game. Yeah. Like I said, the, the Euros, the four... Remember, there was also a thread on, bro, the best recruiting class UCLA has ever had. Yeah. That's I so mean, I think Tracy even wrote that article. Like, this is the potential to be the best recruiting class. And I'll give them a break because, like, it's not like they're flying to Europe right. <laughs> just to scout these guys. But, well, like... Anybody? Like, apparently the that guy that went to the Raptors went to Europe, like, once, and it was, like, months oh, ago. Was that it? He, yeah. he only went once in person? 
or like once or twice. Like, remember when we saw the highlight reel of a Daimar? We were like, yeah. um, yeah. it's like fourth graders. So, okay, but you saw that that tweet after the game. Ben Bolch, the LA Times beat reporter for UCLA, he tweeted saying um, that a Daimar's father told Mick Cronin that he had no expectation that Mick, uh, that a die would be able to leave UCLA after a year. Well, that's, so that's, that's expected him to stay two years. I'm very happy to hear that. I do think he's going to be a force to be reckoned with next year for sure. I think so too. I think he has a lot of skills. I think of all the four, he has the most potential to dominate in college. He yeah. just, I, the one thing I will say, he looks happier on the sideline. I think he he's enjoying himself. I think he's getting some, he's earning some minutes back. And I think what, what this is, well, we can get into a couple more players than Cronin, but I think what it's showing some of the players who are buying into Mick is like, you will get your minutes. It's right. not going to be as easy as you're hoping, but you'll eventually get them. Yeah. Let's go to my, my next newfound favorite player, Will McClendon, who, I mean, he's shooting over 40% from three, yeah. Yeah. but my, my issue is they don't get him any shots. I don't understand why. Like yeah. they don't run any pick and like pick and pops. They they just he just kind of floats and like if he happens to be open, yeah. he'll, he'll shoot it. But like they don't run any place for him. It's very odd. Yeah, it's amazing that he's shooting as well as he is because I feel like a fifth of his shots at least are like end of the buzzer, you know, like last second shot clock. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have those plays in our repertoire. Like we were running them for David Singleton. Like a quarter of our plays last year were David Singleton running around screens like Steph Curry and getting a three. And David has this. David has a slow release too, so it's not. Yeah. That's not the excuse. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I, I don't. I don't get it. I will say you have to admit that offensively we looked so much better last game against Oregon. You have oh, to admit that. we did, and yeah. I think it's because our point right guard there was no offensive system. Right when you said that, well, boom, our point guard great. played great. He played great, and he he started the offense and he he created shots. I mean, if if you if you don't have a point guard doing that, it, your offense is not going to work. But yeah, yeah. our offense looked. Way better, and our shooting has been. I don't remember. I saw a tweet with someone put the percentage. I forgot, but our three point shooting is like top of the pack twelve now. Somehow for the yeah. last like ten games or something. Last last game we were six of twelve from three. But I think that's Mick. I think that's Mick scouting and having a good offensive system. Remember when we were like desperate for Sebastian Mack to like drive and hopefully would get some free throws? Did that even happen? Maybe once last game, and it wasn't a desperation thing. It was like yeah. in the rhythm of the play. It so, was that Marquette game, right? He he just yeah. drove every single play. There was no other yeah. play. And it almost worked. But, yeah, I mean, that, like, I'm very impressed with the offense this last game. Oregon's a good team. You know, defensively, they're, they're pretty good. And we got 71 on them. I think that might be, like, a season high. Of set of set of it, it. it might be. The offense looked good. It was never, like, there were still moments where it was like, oh, my God, there's no scoring. But, like, overall, the flow was great. And that, that, that gets us to Mick, right? I'll, I'll say, you know, at times I've been a Mick hater and I think I have legitimate reasons for, for having some skepticism of Mick, his incessant yelling for no clear reason, his insane rotations, his asinine, like insistence on doing the same thing every single game, expecting different results. But if you look at it over the course of an entire season, I will give him props, right? I, I, my, one of my complaints with Mick is he has, he doesn't adjust well in game in between individual games. But over the course of a season, you you can't deny that he is a good coach over the course of a season. He clearly develops his players. We've seen improvement from multiple players this year. I mean, Will, um, Adai looks better. Brandon Williams is getting minutes and he's looking pretty, he's looking playable. Mac is looking a little bit more under control. He still is terrible at defense and loaves. Um, and then Will looks good and Dylan Andrews is looking good. So you, you clearly see development. Like you said, the offensive system is looking better. Um, players are really 
no matter how much I hate his yelling, players seem to buy into him, at least most of the players. It sounds like Ilan and Jan, maybe it's not meshing, but most of the other players playing minutes are. And, you know, he's he's, he's probably just so annoying to play against from other teams because the, the team does play really, really hard. Um, so I think it's, a, unfortunately, this year probably a little too late. They have to win the Pac-12 tournament. I think some of these things could have been fixed earlier, but maybe he this is just his process because he knew this year they're not winning the title. He's developing for yeah. next year. Um, he might have insight on who's staying, who's going. I don't know, but Mick is he's a good coach. I think one of the misnomers from our 17 viewers was thinking me saying Mick was not a good coach. I'm just saying that he's not without his flaws. And I think sometimes people on the bro, bro boards, because of Steve Alford experience, act like Mick is without flaws and some god you can't criticize. I think that's false. He can you can criticize him. And I think even if you ask Mick, he would he would probably agree with some of the criticisms, right? If you look back and reflect. Um, but UCLA is not going to hire a better coach, especially with Jarman as their AD. You cannot trust him to hire a different coach, right? So you Mick is the UCLA coach. I think I can see him getting frustrated with the NIL situation at UCLA. Um, but I don't know who's going to lure him away. I think he really does genuinely love coaching at UCLA. He wants to bring a national title to it. I know there's always speculation about Louisville, and they're terrible again with Kenny Payne. So the job is probably going to be open in a couple of years. I think that's the one place where he might go. But from a UCLA fan perspective, you have to be happy with Mick, especially considering that I trust zero people in that athletic department to make any hires. And let's realistically say, like, if you fire Mick, nobody's going to want to come coach at UCLA because the expectations are crazy. Mick is a good coach, and he's potentially a great coach. Um, he just needs to figure out U.S. recruiting. He just needs to figure it out, and I think he will, but he needs to figure that out. I agree. I I, I think that he's too easy to recruit against um, because of the things you said. But on the flip side of that coin, every single player who plays for Mick multiple seasons gets better. Like, there's no doubt about that. Even yeah. Kenny, because he was literally yeah. uber unplayable, now he's just unplayable. <laughs> Yeah, every single player gets better. And like a lot of them get significantly better. Um, there's a lot of guys that I think left too soon and maybe his attitude and his anger have something to do with that. But the guys that stick it out and have and put their trust in Mick, they all get better. And I, I do think that this team, they've showed a lot of heart because I think it's very hard, especially when you have whatever 11 new players or whatever it was, um, trying to get buy-in from this like short you know five foot five guy whose screaming obscenity is like every five seconds that's very hard but i think they they put it together and um and they figured it out so a couple things i'll say though i'm pulling up the old the, the uh the first podcast that we did together right now i think okay. within five seconds oh welcome uh you say that mick cronin's a bad coach so i'll see if i can find that while uh maybe we'll take a break but um so, so okay that's number one but number two that's overreaction pod and this is this is this is a this is calm down just like i can i finally watched some basketball without my eyes bleeding and this is zen zen pod okay zen that brings me number to number two so we have what 10 games left in the season 11 games left, something like that this is a young team we are going to lose some stupid games mm -hmm. and we have to expect that we can't, you know, at that point, we can't say Mick is a terrible coach. Sure, it may be his coaching had something to do with it, but that's just basketball. You yeah. know, like we, we the shots are not going to go away. We're going to not have momentum. We're not going to be able to put it together. Um, and that you will can happen. be a good coach and have a bad year. That's okay. And if, if the players show development and they end with the with a positive streak, like I don't always believe in that, but I think this year, if the players come back, then next year is set up really well. So 
Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. And I think this could be a special year. You know, like maybe we make a tournament. Maybe you think we're gonna make win the Pac-12 tournament? We have uh, to get that buy. We have to get in the top four, though. Yeah, I think we'll get the buy. I, I really do think we'll get the buy. What are we in the Pac-12 now? Like fourth? I think, um, I think sixth. We have to be in the top four. Yeah, I think we'll get that buy. Um, we got to sweep Stanford and Cal this week. We have to. Yes, that's mandatory. Um, but look, I mean, we've we we're playing so much better. The the hard parts of our schedule are behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team is really bought in. So yeah, I'm excited. How sorry is USC basketball? The whole broadcast against UCLA, they always all just talking about Bronny James going to the NBA. I was just like, I know they're not playing with Isaiah Collier, but you got They got a bunch of five-star. They got, they got a ton of high-ranked prospects and they look God awful. Their coach sucks. What's his name? Andy Enfield. Yeah. Andy Enfield sucks. He's not a good basketball. He's like the best coach in the history of USC basketball. I mean, recent history. Uh, so, so your prediction is they this is a special UCLA run. UCLA is going to win the title. <laughs> no, I think that I. Okay, you're asking. Oh God, I don't. I don't like this because then people are going to look back on this podcast and say that I'm an idiot. Um, I think let's say we have 11 games left. I think we win seven. Okay. At least. Okay. I'll, I'll make a. I'll make a stronger prediction. I think that we win nine. I would love to see nine. I think it's very doable. Okay. Make a very strong run in the Pac-12 tournament. I think we come close to winning. I think Arizona in the end wins, but it's like you know a couple. Arizona is beatable though. Arizona is beatable for sure. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. A couple bounces don't go our way, and we lose. You know, I don't know about the championship game, but I I think Arizona will win. And also, like I'll say this about you know basketball being a, a lot is left to chance and momentum and whatever. In that last Oregon game, we started on fire, right? We were up by like 19 within the first seven minutes, but then Oregon came back and we were all scared, right? But something about that game, you just knew like this team was putting it together and they were not going to let Oregon win. I, I had that sense, right? Like these guys, the heart is there, the the attitude, the 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 leadership, you know, the the integrity is there, and that's what Mick Cronin is all about. He mm-hmm. he instills that in people. Because if they can withstand a Mick Cronin tirade with the F word flying every five seconds, then they can withstand an Oregon comeback. I, I really believe that. I think I think they've also clearly learned from they've blown huge leads over the course. They're probably frustrated with that, and they're like, "We're not, we're not letting this happen." Yeah. Um, and you know, they've been fun games to watch. I'm looking forward to the Stanford game. We'll see how Stojakovic does against the the Bruins. We could have could have used Stojakovic, um, but you know, Lazar. If he plays like this, he's a legitimate starter. The first half of the year, I was just like, I couldn't believe he was getting so many minutes. But like, he's he shot us out of games, but now he's playing us into games. So, um, too much of the load. I mean, can you believe like this team lost by what forty six to Utah, lowest point in UCLA basketball history, and now they're like potentially. When are they playing Utah again? I think they they might beat them. Yeah, uh, we play on February eighteenth. It's coming up. Okay. All right, um, but UCLA basketball on the rise. That's exciting. Let's talk about UCLA football because the whole last few weeks, so basically the, the season was a disaster. The Chip Kelly era has been basically a disaster carried by DTR, literally just carried by DTR. And then this last year, finally, UCLA had an amazing defense with a first-round pick, Layatu Latu, and Chip Kelly, the offensive guru, offensive genius, wonder kid, has the dumbest 
most useless, most predictable, most egregious offense I've ever seen play football. He went all in on Dante Moore, who I didn't, I wasn't at practice. All I see is this guy's five-star, the next like great recruit. I was like all for it. Like that first game playing some shitty team, Dante Moore looks great. But then literally one or two games in, you could tell he was like terrible, but no matter how bad he was, he kept playing Dante Moore, uh, ruined Dante's confidence, ruined the UCLA season, then put in Garbers. Um, same damn predictable play calling. I had to see Carson Steele run up the middle every time. I just couldn't take it anymore. And they had a prime opportunity, literally an incredible opportunity. Fire Chip, get Jedfish or Jonathan Smith. Literally perfect. Bring him down from Oregon State. Bring him from Arizona. Bring him to UCLA. Moving to the Big Ten. Money, recruiting, everything is set up. And I heard that Martin wanted to do it. But Casey Wasserman apparently stepped in. And then you got all these people saying, Chip's done an amazing job. You can't expect better than this, even though Jim Mora was better than this. Um, and Martin, I mean, he doesn't have power in that department. It's all Casey Wasserman. And then I guess Chancellor Block, like, didn't want all this. He was like, what's going on? We just, you just extended him, Martin. Why are you firing him now? Which is fair. Like, why the hell did you extend him? And so they didn't fire Chip. Everybody gets hired. Jonathan Smith, gone. Jed Fish, up to Washington. Um, and then Chip, is desperately trying to get out, trying to get offensive coordinator jobs. And I was like, why are these teams calling Chip? But that's not true. Apparently Chip has been calling the Raiders. Yeah. He was calling the commanders. He was calling all these teams, like say, interest in offensive coordinator. None of them hired him because we all have eyes and Chip doesn't run a revolutionary offensive system. So now Chip is back. We got the biggest, the, we got New Heisel still there. We got Trim Drevno still, all these guys. Our defensive coordinator went to USC and then USC hired a co-defensive coordinator, which is just so embarrassing. And our defensive coordinator, he was just promoted, right? Within. Um, yeah. the, the football program is a, is a disaster. Chip Kelly is a disaster. The whole situation is, is just an utter embarrassment yeah. to UCLA sports. And I cannot believe it's happening. Because this season is, obviously Chip is not here after this year. I don't know why recruits are still signing with not, not great. We get booms. And then you find out it's a Johns Hopkins transfer. I was like, Oh my God, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this recruiting class, I think is like what ranked 150th or something. It's Probably the worst in UCLA history. I don't know. I think it probably is. At least with Jim Mora, you knew you were getting top-notch recruits. Maybe his coaching in the year was, but you would have awesome players. Now yeah. we're just, Oh, there was this guy on Twitter. Sorry, before you go. Apparently, he his son was a five-star recruit. And there were like three or four five-star recruits, four or five-star recruits at UCLA. And apparently, the assistant coaches said Chip couldn't meet them because he was watching film. And hey, here I am thinking, Chip, you're watching film, but you run the same damn play every play call. Why do you need to watch film? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it makes no sense. Chip is a complete embarrassment to our, our school, our beloved UCLA Bruins. And the number one indictment of Chip is he does not represent the school well at all. He does not represent the school well at all. With Mick Cronin, at least when he's playing badly, he still cares about UCLA. Chip doesn't give a fuck Mick about wears him. it on his sleeve. Chip is like if 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 a, if he wore a hat, maybe it was there, but he has a visor because he has no care in his head about UCLA. Yeah, he he's just yeah, he's not a care in the world. I guess he wants to, and I honestly he picked UCLA. Remember, it was between Florida and UCLA. He picked UCLA. So you know why he picked UCLA? Yeah, let's hear it. Because Florida would have driven him out of the state. Yeah, he picked UCLA because he wanted a school where he could kick back and 
you know, get his eight wins against the easiest competition in UCLA history and call that a victory. Like that, that's the problem. He, he has two things going for him. Number one, we're moving to the big 10 and I don't think Jarman or anyone wanted to cause a lot of, you know, big wake, whatever. Cause he just wanted, Jarman just wants to get absolutely annihilated in the big 10, but that's okay. Yeah. So number one, I think moving to the big 10 saved him. And number two, he has that, you know, eight win, nine win, a couple of eight win, nine win seasons. And that totally discounts the fact, everything you just said, in addition to the fact that he does not represent UCLA, he doesn't care. He is anti-NIL, he's anti-Men of Westwood, he's anti-recruiting. He has no, he's never said anything like good about the history of UCLA football, ever. He doesn't care. And uh, and he's flippant with reporters and like interviews. Like Cronin gives like good answers. Yeah, it, it, it makes me miss Jim Mora. Like it's so sad. Jim Mora was, he had his flaws, but he was an the team was exciting. Going to going to the Rose Bowl with Jim Mora years was fun because they had ballers everywhere. Yeah, and and he was the reason. Jim Mora was the reason. He yeah. made it fun. He was recruiting. His like enthusiasm for UCLA. He cared. Um, New High's a lot. I gotta give it to him. Like he obviously cared about UCLA. He played at UCLA as our quarterback, and he he like you can never. Nick Rick Neuheisel is so much more of a man than Chip Kelly because you can never question his heart. Chip, Chip Kelly, Kelly is a weasel. Yeah. Like, you know, UCLA fans were so excited when Chip Kelly was hired. And like there was part of me was like, maybe he can get back to Oregon, but like I'm a 49ers fan, right? I slept Chip Kelly for a year. Utter disaster. Nobody has no none of the players have respect for Chip Kelly. Um nobody huh? The Eagles, he was even worse. He was he was horrible on the Eagles. I can't believe the Niners hired him. And then he was disgustingly terrible. And then like my whole problem is if you're going to be a college football coach, and I get it nowadays with NIL, it kind of sucks. Yeah. But like you're mailing in and getting it $7 million a year of UC, like it's not actually UC money, but like ridiculous amount of money. You're the highest paid probably employee in the UC system, right? He's probably the highest paid employee. He probably makes more than Mick, right? It's millions. Yeah, he probably does. He probably makes more than the top uh, psychiatrist at UCLA does. And that's a far more important job. So, um, <laughs> I mean, that's you. You hit it on the nail, right? If you're, if you at least had passion and showed that he cared, that'd be something. And like, at least put in the effort. He doesn't put in any effort. They don't recruit at all. They recruit transfers. Like they got lucky with Latu because Washington deemed him like unable to play football again, and somehow a UCLA doctor said he could play football again. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of the Jalen Phillips scenario is very odd. Um, but like, there's no, there's never any excitement for UCLA football year. We were all excited about Dante Moore. And you could quickly tell he didn't have the arm strength. Dante yeah. just doesn't have arm strength. And he has, he was the slowest person I've ever seen as a high schooler. Like even terrible high school players are faster than Dante Moore. I don't, he's not going to be a good pro prospect. Um, it was just, it's just sad. And I think they had the opportunity to fix it. That's the, that's what I hate the most. Cause Jed Fish or Jonathan Smith, I think Jed Fish would have taken UCLA. He was our interim coach. Yeah. He would have had passion. That guy and Arizona every year got better. And they care about football in Arizona now. That's unheard of. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It's just really sad. The tarps are the biggest representation of that. You know, has Rose has the Rose Bowl ever had tarps in it? It's ridiculous. I mean, I don't expect, honestly, I expect UCLA to sell out the Rose Bowl every time, but the amount of tarping is insane. Jim Mora, like when we went to games, there were 80,000 people there. The whiteout game, we went to a whiteout game. It was sick. Yeah, it was it was fun and he he created that that starts with the head coach and now we got to see garbers 
play yeah. quarterback. I don't know why Sturdivant's still there. And poor yeah, guy. Yeah. He's... Um, but but yeah, I, I'll admit when Chip Kelly was hired, I was so stoked. I remember wearing my UCLA hat. I was proud. <laughs> you know, we got the best coach available. Um, it's a turnaround. You know, we have we had the new Wasserman Wasserman Center. It was going to be mm-hmm. like you know this big uh, hoorah. Um, but then I remember reading that he wasn't going to run the blur offense. And that was the first, like, uh-oh. Like, he's going to run the same offense he ran in, in Philadelphia and San Francisco. And ever since then, it's been completely downhill. And boy, every time someone calls him an offensive genius, I'm like, do you watch any of their games? Because here as it is, shotgun snap. They do uh, the, the running backs to, to the left, right? Shotgun snap, hand the ball, run up the middle. Literally every play. And the quarterback, literally, Dante Moore never kept it. I think he might have kept it once all year. So like we're not fooling anybody, and then the offensive pass routes are comical. Like no pro player prospects should go play for Chip Kelly because you have no no shot. Because it's it's a joke. It's a joke. I, I hate talking about UCLA football. And and the, it shows that you know the the people that were supposedly interested in him were all like his buddies from twenty years ago or whatever. They're like, just no, trying no, to garner no. interest and like say Chip Kelly's this hot commodity. Exactly. Everyone who actually you know, knows football is knows that you're not going to hire Chip Kelly. His, his ideas are, are done. His, his genius. Sure. He did really well at Oregon. However many but he years. doesn't even use those ideas. That's what makes me so, the most mad. I don't think we played hurry up once. Yeah. It's, it's arrogant. It's arrogant. That's like, I think he just desperately wants to be an NFL head coach or offensive coordinator. He doesn't want to do the recruiting. He doesn't want to deal with the administration or whatever. And I don't blame him. Saban quit because he doesn't want to deal with NIL. Yeah. I don't blame him either, but like, your number one job is to win, you know, and if the blur is going to get you to win, then use the blur. Stop trying to be something that like, stop trying to apply for a job when you just have this job and just started this job. You know, you know? when I knew Chip wasn't going to, wasn't going to be it is when his set is for number one priority is books, then ball. It's books and ball, right? That's their story. Give me, give me a break. None of these players are coming for the books. None of them are coming. Your job is to win football games. UCLA, your 20, the 100 players in the school, like nobody cares what their grades are getting. That's the one thing I also have against my problem with UCLA is they are not a serious school when it comes to sports because they have these obscene, stupid expectations of the athletes for no clear reason. Remember the TOEFL? For, like these guys are speaking four languages, but they can't get a, their the UCLA TOEFL requirement was higher than Harvard. I mean, give me a break. Thousands, like 20,000 kids get into UCLA every year. The hundred kids on the football team, who cares? Just get the best players because that's the most, the most important part of UCLA for the national brand, for getting money, for growing, is not like me and you going to med school there. Like, nobody cares, right? It's the football team and the basketball team. I don't understand why they don't have the concept of this. Maybe the next chancellor will. But this whole notion, and this is coming from two people who went to school forever. Like, I understand. Very academic academic people, yeah. Very academic people, but I'm not an idiot. Like, I'm not expecting the quarterback or the running back to be taking, like, AP physics. Like, just give me a break. They're there to play football and pass their classes, let them take whatever commun- whatever major they want. But this whole notion that you have to be student athletes, this is not how you win. This is not how, Mi- I, Michigan is a great school. You, 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 wouldn't, you couldn't trick me into believing that all these kids are like meeting all these requirements. Give me a break. They're a sports school and Michigan Wolverines is famous and people apply there and want to go there because of their sports. That's why UCLA made their brand in basketball. And that's how it got famous worldwide, right? Nobody, 
I don't, unless I'm very wrong, nobody got famous from the old David Geffen School of Medicine. Not, not what was the old building called? I don't know. That crazy health sciences building I hated. Yes, CHS. It, it, I mean, just this whole notion and Chip Kelly, I feel like, like has been, that's what he's been banging at. His, yeah. his classes have the highest graduation rates, but who cares? I don't, I don't. Okay. So just to the TOEFL, in, in case our many listeners don't know what that is, test of English as a foreign language. And apparently the UCLA requirements for passing that test are ridiculous and higher than Harvard's. And like one guy, I remember, I forgot who it was, but some guy tried to play basketball at UCLA. He was international. He Wasn't it Berkey last year? No, it was, it was like Ian Deku or something oh, like that. Uh, some guy from Ige Demir. Ige Demir. Yeah, you're Ige right. Demir, yeah. And apparently he he passed the test, like he passed the test, would have been able to get into Stanford, but UCLA had a higher, like he had, he had to get like a 90% instead of an 80%. And they and, wouldn't and, make an exception. And if we had Ige Demir, like I have, now I have no expectations of foreign players, but he would have been one more big body who we desperately needed in the tournament. Yeah. And I remember Mick Cronin's brother tweeting like free Demir. So obviously Mick was excited about him, but uh, you know what I'll say if I'm the chancellor of UCLA, like remember the UC regents pick the chancellor. The UC regents obviously do not care about athletics at all. Basically Cal and UCLA are the only UCs with strong athletic programs. Hey, UCSD is now D1. Yeah, UCSD is in 40 years is gonna be the next uh, mission <laughs> Alabama. But before, <laughs> um, they obviously don't care. I mean, look at what they did with the Calimony. They made UCLA pay Cal or who knows what's gonna happen with that. but. Because we left to the Big Ten, they're going to make UCLA pay money to Cal, which is ridiculous. Um, and UCLA does have a very strong academic brand. If you look like the international teams yeah. of universities, UCLA is right at the top, and that's purely academics. But I'll hand, I'll give it to you. That started, you know, I'm sure that the wooden basketball teams had a lot to do with that. And it's so obvious from these, you know, big schools in the country, Michigan, you know, it starts with them, Stanford. Uh, Alabama, all these huge football schools, their brand is so much bigger. They make so much more money. It can only go up if their football team is good. And UCLA just does not have that philosophy. And and that that's my thing is right. Like you, I understand there's a lot of a lot of different schools at UCLA. Right, I went to business school there too. Uh, top twenty five now, I think. Nah, it's gone down a bit. Um, right. But it's just like. This this expectation that UCLA is the most elite university in the country is is hurting actually, I feel like, because like everybody applies to UCLA because it's first of all, Westwood's a great place to go to college. I mean, it's a great place to to be. You get La Monica's pizza, Rocco's. What else could you want? First first Rocco's, then La Monica's. Rocco's gets a mention every single podcast. <laughs> is it still open? I don't even know if it's still open. Yeah, it is. Um I was but just like there. But like part of the experience and like why UCSD sucked compared to UCLA is like the the, the sports is how all the all, not all but most students like bond and like have a have a connection back to their school. You're not going to go back and remember the library, right? Maybe you will, but most people remember their memories from like the football or basketball games. And I feel like the football team needs to, and of course, an on-campus stadium would be great. And I honestly think if they had a thirty thousand seat on-campus stadium, it'd be amazing at Drake Stadium. It's never going to happen because the their neighborhood won't allow it. Um, although I don't understand why, because it's only like what six games a year, seven games a year, seven days a year. I don't know. Yeah, I remember the neighborhood. Every person in the neighborhood had signs against the hotel that opened up on UCLA. It's like, 
has that. Bill, Bill Walton's the Glorious Luskin Center. The Glorious Luskin Center, and now it's Bill, and it's beautiful. And is there any impact whatsoever? By the way, why does why didn't the Oregon basketball? Why don't the teams just stay at the Luskin Center? <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah, they were they were late by like an hour at the game. Yeah, who knows? They don't even. They don't get to stay at the W either. I wonder where they're staying because those are the two nicest hotels nearby. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, that was that was fun. Um, we will be back. The the insider will be back again. Hope you're all enjoying. Share and uh, uh, share this content. We got this is probably one of the most fun UCLA podcasts. There's not that many good UCLA podcasts. Tracy and David obviously have a good one, but a little little more formal. They try to dance around the edges. Here we give it to you unfiltered, real. We got an insider, um, and we're not afraid to change our opinions. Like if we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, yeah, we admit it. We admit yeah. it. Yeah, so. Admit it. Uh, Again, Alex is guaranteeing a national title, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening.